Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. As you heard from Angela there in the children's time, we started last Sunday, back to school Sunday, with a sort of back to school uh, sermon series focused on the Lord's Prayer. As we uh, return to some discipline and some schedule in our own lives, we uh, thought it might be helpful to refocus our prayer lives as well. And so as a part of that uh, series last week, um, we gave away a couple of books that are still available to you if you want one. There's about uh, 10 or 12 of these books. This would be from anyone from a teen to an adult. It's really approachable. It's not a deep book. It's, it's got a lot of pictures. It's kind of a picture book. Um, and so, uh, but the pictures are so well done that they kind of invite some prayerful reflections. And so anyway, there's 10 or 12 of these. There's a few out here and a few in the Welcome Center. And then the book that Angela was referring to with the children is called The Most Important Prayer of All. And there's even more of these or maybe two dozen of these left and so we certainly like all the children and families to have these uh, and to be reading along as we work through the Lord's Prayer together. All right, uh, obviously the Lord's Prayer is in the scriptures, Matthew 6, and we read it last week, um, but in preaching on the Lord's Prayer we need a few other texts to go along with that. We're not just going to read Matthew 6 each week. And so today there's three short passages there in your bulletin, uh, one from 1 Kings and then uh, all the way Isaiah and then all the way up through Revelation, uh, more than we usually read, but, but you'll see how they kind of work into the Lord's Prayer uh, as we preach. So I invite you to give attention to those scriptures. We'll begin with 1 Kings, and uh, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screens. 1 Kings eight twenty seven through 30. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I've built. Have regard for your servant's prayer and plea, O Lord my God, heeding the cry and the prayer that your servant prays to you today, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, this place which you said, my name shall be there, that you may heed the prayer that your servant prays towards this place. Hear the plea of your servant and your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Oh, here in heaven, your dwelling place, heed and forgive. All right, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two their feet, and with two they flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots of the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. I said, Woe is me, I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips." I live among a people of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Revelation 7, 15 through 17. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. They worship Him day and night within His temple. One who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more, thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then just to remind you, the Lord's Prayer comes from Matthew 6. Pray this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures and let us say together, Amen. Would you pray with me? 
Yes, God, we do ask that you would bless our reading and our hearing of these ancient words, that the use of Scripture today would still be inspired and guided by the Spirit that led to its writing and its sharing so many years ago. God, perhaps now you could speak through my words, maybe in spite of my words, but whatever the case may be, that you would use this time, that you would speak to each of our hearts, that you would write on our hearts your word, that our lives might reflect that word as we go forth. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, It wasn't that long ago, even in my childhood, and for many of you in your childhood or even in your adulthood, it wasn't that long ago uh, that we didn't necessarily know where everyone was at at all times. Do you remember that? Like when I was a kid, we didn't really know where everyone was at. You might call them on their landline phone at their home, but if they didn't answer... You just hung up. Do you remember these days? And maybe they were at work, or maybe they were traveling, or maybe they were running errands or getting groceries. We simply didn't know. And we might call back in a couple of hours, or we might call back the next day. I can remember when I was a kid, sometimes my dad would would call home from his office line before uh, he left work, right? I'm leaving work, just to let you know. I'll be home in 20 minutes. Is there anything you need me to pick up when I come home, right? And there was a real sense, even when I was a kid, right, and even starting to to grow up a little bit, there was a sort of mystery about where people were at and where we might see them again or when we might see them. Thinking about the kids being on their youth trip this weekend, I remember the first few trips I went on, my parents sent uh, little phone cards with me. Do you remember those? And that's the way I would call home, right? We'd find a pay phone, and you would dial that number on the phone card, and you had so many minutes, right? Do you remember these days? And in the meantime, you just sort of lived with the mystery, Where are they? How are they? When will we hear from them? When will we see them again? I've been reading an interesting book uh, about Theodore Roosevelt's uh, travels in the Amazon, exploring an unknown river called the River of Doubt. And and I really love the book for a lot of reasons. But one thing that's so fascinating, this was just about 100 years ago, a little more than 100 years ago, is that their main way of communicating is by letter, right? And so they would write letters that would take weeks and months to get to the other party, and they would arrange dates that they're going to meet or they're going to get on a ship or they're going to gather their supplies. And then they would go on huge trips, not knowing for many weeks and months where each other was at and when they might return. It's a very different time compared to our modern world. Cell phones, when I was in high school, we started carrying cell phones. That radically changed how much we knew about one another and where they were at. You could call someone at any time. Where are you? When will you be home? What's going on with you today? Then you could text them, where are you, when are you leaving, what time should we expect you? And now, in our families, of course, we can track one another. How many of you track your, your families? Most of you, your loved ones, your, it's nice to know where they're at, right? I'm so glad that wasn't around when I was a teenager, you know? Uh, I really cherish that little bit of, of privacy and mystery I had back then when I was a kid, went to college. It's a very different world now. There's an immediacy, there's an expectation We ought to know where each other's at. We ought to be able to talk to each other. We ought to get a response via text message really quickly. I offer that to you because I just wonder, and and I'm just kind of thinking out loud myself, like how is it that we know where everyone is at all times and we can get in touch really easily and really quickly? I wonder how that shapes our thinking about our prayer life. I wonder in terms of our relationship to God, do we sort of always know where God is? Is God sort of on our phone in the same way that we can track one another and we have a confidence about where God is and and how quickly we can get in touch with God? Or when we think about God and God's location and God's communication with us, does it feel like a little bit like those old days where we were writing letters that might take weeks and months to get there and it might be weeks or months before we heard back? 
when we think about our prayer life particularly, right, we think about communicating with God. I wonder just, just how immediate that feels to you. Does it feel like a text message or a phone call, or does it feel like someone far away and distant? Today, we look at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to continue to do this for the next few weeks. We're just going to take it phrase by phrase, and we're going to start, we started last week with our Father, and we're going to look today with those next few phrases, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, part of that is the Old English. We talked about how, of course, historically the Bible was written in Greek and a little bit of Aramaic, and then it was translated to Latin, and so for many centuries, the main way people read the Bible was in Latin, and then, of course, it eventually was translated into English. We think about the King James Bible. That was an early English translation, and so many of us learned the Lord's Prayer in the way that the English was translated originally, Our Father who art in heaven. Of course, that art really just means are or is, and so sometimes we even shorten it to just say Our Father in heaven, in heaven. That's what that means, right? Our Father in heaven. And so when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, they begin with our Father. We talked about that last week. And he says, pray in this way, right? Our Father in heaven. What do we mean by in heaven? And why is that important in our prayers? Well, the first case is, is this case. Now, I, I want to apologize. I'm a little embarrassed. I worked real hard on this sermon, and then Angela did the children's time, and she did like the whole sermon in two minutes right there. Uh, <laughs> I promise you, I came up with some of these thoughts on my own. I didn't just read the children's book, um, but Adam does say it very succinctly there, some of what I'm going to try to say today. Well, when we say the Lord's Prayer, that's really a, a, a plural word there, our Father in the heavens, in heavens. We, we've translated it now to be mostly singular, but it's really in plural. And the reason it's in the plural is because of the historic use of that word, heavens. There are a lot of Psalms. Psalm 19 is one you can go to that refers to the Lord in the heavens, Right? And when the Old Testament writers and when the ancient writers think about the heavens, they mean primarily everything that is above and beyond creation. Right? Above and beyond creation as they know it. Right? And so this is an ancient world. This is a pre-modern world. You've seen some drawings like this, some of the ancient concepts of the way in which the, the heavens were arranged. And so we exist on earth. We can see the vault of heaven above us. We can see the, the heavens above that, the highest heavens, the dwelling place of God below us being the, the under earth or Sheol. And so when the ancient people, including here in the Lord's Prayer, when they pray to God in heaven, probably many of them are thinking about heavens, the the cosmological heavens, right? The stars and the sun and the moon and the clouds. Like when you look up, whatever is up there, that's where God is, right? That's part of what we mean when we pray in the heavens. And so when we look up and we see all those things out there and, and, the, and the incredible uh, resources we have now with telescopes and, and the photography that they're doing out in outer space, right? Whatever is out there, galaxies and stars far away, moons and planets, as far as you can imagine, whatever exists beyond you, God is there. In other words, there's, there's no place that you can think of, the heavens, the furthest that you can think, there's no, there's no location across space that God does not exist. So when you pray our Father in heaven, part of what we're saying is we're praying to a magnificent and wonderful and, and huge God that exists across the heavens. But it doesn't just stop there. And again, this is some of what Angela read a little bit earlier. So part of what we pray in heaven is we're praying about the distance, the, the magnitude, the, the majesty of, the, of God's character and being. But we're also recognizing the way in which that presence has been drawn near to us. 
And so just a moment ago, we read from 1 Kings 8, 27 through 30, and this could be its own sermon. We're kind of picking a few little texts here to support the themes of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but you'll remember, First Kings, early part of First Kings, Solomon. Solomon comes before David. Solomon famously builds what we call Solomon's Temple, right? And it's a great temple, a great temple of worship. It's an incredible uh, architectural feat, construction feat. I mean, it's an incredible place of worship. It's described in detail how the temple was built. There's many modern drawings that try to give us a sense of how the temple looked. And so as we were reading in 1 Kings 8, part of what we were reading there is Solomon pleading with God. We know God is in the heavens. Even the heavens cannot contain God's presence. But God, we ask that 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 heavenly presence would draw near to us here in this place. And so what Solomon is doing there in 8, 27 through 30 is he's asking God's blessings on the temple. We know God is this big, this large, this incredible, this magnificent presence, but God, we are expecting and celebrating and praying that that presence would be here near to us. And so when we pray about our Father in heaven, we're, we're recognizing the grandeur of God, but we're also celebrating that, that that presence has also come near to us in our lives, including in worship, including in our day-to-day lives. Justo Gonzalez is a wonderful uh, theologian, and, and he, he writes on this particular theme. He says it's, it's helpful to think about it this way, uh, that, that we experience life on earth in a particular way in time and space. We are a part of the created order, right? But we know that God exists beyond the created order. God exists beyond time and space. That God is in all spaces and in all times all the time, right? Because that's the best our language can do to describe it. And so when we say our Father in heaven, we're talking about the very character of God, that God exists in a way, that God's presence, that God's being is unique. It's beyond our wildest imaginations. It extends further than we can ever see, but it's also uniquely near to us at all times and at all places. And so heaven is something that's out there, but it's also something that has come near. My, uh, I went to undergrad at UCA, many of you know. I was there with a, a few friends, made some good friends. One's name was uh, Bart Dunlap. Uh, Bart uh, is from Moralton, and he is uh, legitimately one of the smartest people I've ever known. He was a couple, year, couple years ahead of me. He did degrees in math and physics, and then he went to UNC Chapel Hill to do a Ph.D., uh, in astronomy and in theoretical physics. And this dude's like a legit genius. And now he works for the federal government doing some sort of research that I don't understand. Uh, a few years ago when Bart was still at UNC, uh, some of his, his uh, research got kind of picked up in popular media. And if you Google it now, you can find some resources. These are some of the, uh, some of the images that were put together based on his research where they talked about um, these new white dwarf stars Uh, that were 10 times fainter than any star they had ever seen before. And so that little black and white image is the sort of stuff that he studies. And so they found, looking across the outer space, right, they found this new star that was out there 10 times fainter than ever before. And because it was fainter, it was older. Because it was fainter, it was farther away. And what they concluded was that it had cooled down, the carbon had cooled down to such a level, about 3,000 degrees Kelvin, that these light years away stars were actually floating diamonds, right? Floating diamonds, the size of our planets or our sun, right? And so this made popular headlines, right? Diamonds in the sky, right? Not just literal, but actual diamonds out there in outer space further than you can see or imagine. 
And so that caught a lot of attention. And so we can imagine all that's going on out there at outer space. We just recently got those new images of our own galaxies that are not, uh, that are not previously unseen that give us an image of what God is like out there in space and time. At the same time, when we celebrate in worship, particularly when we celebrate communion, that's just one example, we pray just as Solomon did. Lord God, be present among us. Draw near to us in this bread and this wine. Draw near to us as we worship and as we fellowship and as we read from the scriptures. And so with God, there's this real, this real interesting sort of tension. God is cosmic and grand, but also close to us, near to us. The other thing, of course, probably the most natural image that comes to mind when we think about a heaven is eternal worship. And so heaven partly describes God's character, the way in which God is, is grand but also near. And of course, heaven describes the way in which God is being worshipped. This is a painting of the, uh, of the interpretation of Isaiah 6. Isaiah has a vision of the seraphs that are in heaven. They're flying around with six wings. With two wings, they're covering their eyes, and with two, their feet, and with two, they're flying, and they're crying out in the heavenly chorus, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Of course, Isaiah is from the Old Testament. This is a prophetic vision of what it's like in the eternal presence of God, angels worshiping God day and night. In Revelation 7, we read this morning, you can see a New Testament vision, right, of those angels, that angelic chorus, the communion of saints gathered around the Lamb who was slain. And as they worship Him in eternity, there will be no tears, there will be no hunger, there will be no strife. And so when we think about heaven, when we pause to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, that's sort of an invitation to just imagine the glorious worship that is happening at all times in God's presence. Angels and seraphs, those who have died and gone before us, gathered in God's presence, worshiping holy, holy, holy day and night. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name, of course, again, has a little bit of that old English sound to it. Hallowed is not a word we use very often. When we do use it, we know it means it is something special and something set apart. And that's kind of the definition, right? Hallowed, something special, something set apart. We rarely use it. We rarely use the word hallowed because there are so few things in our life that are actually hallowed. Hallowed could be translated holy, right, as Angela was saying with the children. When we say hallowed be thy name, we mean that God's name is holy, Lots of thinkers, lots of writers and pastors and theologians have pointed out that this phrase in the Lord's Prayer is the positive opposite of the third commandment. The third commandment, of course, in Exodus says, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. So that's sort of a do not do this, right? But in the Lord's Prayer, it's written in a more positive way. Do this, right? Hallow be thy name, right? Keep God's name holy. Recognize the holiness of God's name. Celebrate the holiness of God's name. Hallowed means something, of course, special, something that's set apart. To take the Lord's name in vain means to use the Lord's name to do harm. To take the Lord's name in vain, the Ten Commandments, to use God's name, to use Yahweh's name, means that you're doing something with God's name that God wouldn't approve of, right? You're doing something mean, something evil, something abusive, something manipulative, and you're saying that God wants you to. That's to use the Lord's name in vain. You're using the Lord's name, but you're doing it for vain reasons. Here's the opposite. Hallowed be thy name. Take the Lord's name and live in such a way that the Lord's name is hallowed, is 
holy is reflect his holiness is reflected and celebrated in your life hallowed be thy name live in such a way when you pray that prayer you're inviting your own a spirit to mirror god's holiness may the way in which you live may the way in which you interact with other people may it hallow god's name may it make god's name more holy and more recognized by those around you when we pray hallowed be thy name we are submitting ourselves to the name of God. I want you to hear that phrase a little bit more. Hallowed be thy name. This is a prayer that is not about me. It's not about my needs or my wants or my dreams or my wishes. The prayer doesn't include I anywhere. When we say hallowed be thy name, we're recognizing God's holiness, God's set-apartness, and therefore we're submitting ourselves to God's holiness. It is God's name that's holy, not my name. Not the name of my employer, not the name of a celebrity or an athlete, not the name of a political figure, not even the name of a wonderful and gifted pastor, right? Hallowed be thy name. This is God's holiness, and because God is holy, I'm submitting my life to God's holiness. And so when we pray that prayer, (coughs) we're putting things in right order. God is the one that is above all. God is the one that is holy. And I want to have my life reflect that truth. It's also recognized, of course, when we pray that prayer, we're making a a counter-cultural commitment, right? Not to our voting uh, preferences, not to our political leanings, not to our ideologies. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're saying it is God. It is God's Word. It is God's holiness that shapes my life. I have this painting in my office. It's a much larger piece of Jesus on the cross, but one part of it is John the Baptist uh, standing off to Jesus' side as Jesus is being crucified. Of course, John the Baptist is the forerunner to Jesus, and as John the Baptist comes in the Gospel of John, he says this wonderful line, He must increase, but I must decrease. This is John the Baptist referring to himself as he talks about Jesus. He, being Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. And so in this painting, John is famously kind of standing off to the side, but he has this bony finger sticking out, pointing at Jesus. That's sort of the essence of hallowed be thy name. He must increase. This is a prayer about God's goodness. This is a prayer about what Jesus has done in our lives to save us. Even if that means I'm less famous, less popular, less well-known, this is about God's holiness. May God's name be hallowed in my life. As we have shared in worship the last couple of Sundays, it's been um, a challenging season. I mentioned to you in our prayers just a moment ago, we've had these two two deaths, both untimely and and both uh, tragic in their own ways. Um, Ron Schneider and then Francis Boone earlier this week. Of course, uh, what happens when someone dies often is, is I get to meet with them and get to meet with their family. And almost always is the case, they have a history with the church that goes well beyond me. And so we get to learn a little bit about their lives and about how they were engaged in the church and what the church means to them. And, it, and that's really a, a joyous occasion that despite the grief we know, we get to celebrate their life and their love. And so with Ron, you know, I've only known Ron a couple of years, but in his dying, we reflected on what he did here at the church, how he sang in the choir for a long time, how he drove the church bus when needed. He worked with the security team, and he was a regular usher at our 11 o'clock service. I was able to visit with Francis's family, particularly Cloyce, uh, Friday afternoon, and we talked about how much time they spent at church and how she worked here in the nursery and how that meant a lot to our church families. 
when we do that, when someone dies and we reflect on their lives and the goodness that their lives uh, shared with others, what we're really saying is these are the ways in which God's name was hallowed through their life. These people served and loved in this way, and in this way they made God's name holy. When we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, as we continue to pray the Lord's Prayer these next few weeks, I want to invite you to kind of learn a pattern of letting your mind and your heart kind of drift in and out of the phrases that draw your attention on any particular occasion. So it could be some time that you're praying the Lord's Prayer. You're not praying it as fast as you can just because you have it memorized, right? It could be sometimes that you pray, Our Father, and you pray that kind of slowly, and you think about the hour, and you think about the Father. It may be sometimes that you pray, Who art in heaven, our Father in heaven. And you just let your mind and your heart meditate on those words in heaven. And you think about the heavens, the cosmos, all that is out there beyond us. You think about the heavens that we experience in worship as, draw, as God draws near to us. You think about the eternal worship in heaven going on even now. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God is holy. God's name is good. And God's name is above all other names. What an honor it is to get to worship this God who is holiness, to submit our lives to this God who is holy, to commit our lives over and against all the other commitments to following God alone. It has been said about the Lord's Prayer that it is the prayer that contains all other prayer. And I really like that description. Each of these phrases is an invitation to a deeper reflection on God's character and how that character shapes our lives. And so this week, I invite you to spend some time with these phrases. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for the testimony of Scripture, including the witness to Jesus teaching the disciples to pray, including the witness across Scripture of the holy worship that has occurred across time, including the imagination of Scripture, the eternal worship that happens even now. God, we, we hope and we ask that you would give us the imagination that you would give us the courage to pray the prayers of those who came before us. In our prayer that we might know what it's like in heaven, that we might celebrate your holiness and goodness, and that those truths might mark and shape our lives. Holy God, as the disciples told Jesus, we again say here, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.